Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, If you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know uh, that we have been doing what we call our summer series, focusing each week on the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father, if you're from a more sacramental tradition. And uh, one of the things I always love about this time, and many of you even comment, is you're like, how is there that much to glean from a short passage of Scripture? Because each week, uh, those who've been coming and speaking um, pull out another angle, something different. And uh, I'm excited for that to happen again this morning. Another question that's often asked is, well, what are you doing? Because you work one day a week and you haven't really done anything for like six weeks. And uh, one of the things we do here is we plan really far ahead with our teaching. And so we're actually right now planned through about Christmas of 2024. Um, This allows us a lot of time to spend with the text that we will be teaching uh, with you. And that's what I do during the week is uh, really give my attention to that. So for this morning, I'm really excited to introduce you to our good friend, Michelle Warren. Michelle has been connected to and been a friend of DCC for 13 or 14 years. Uh, If you know her, she does incredible work in the city of Denver, and I can truly say from my own experience, Denver is better because she's here. She also comes and brings with her two books. I shamelessly promote my friend's books. Uh, This is her newest one, Join the Resistance, her other one, Power of Proximity. Uh, Both of those are in the back, and afterwards you'll have the opportunity to grab one or both of these and also meet her. So would you welcome with me my friend, our friend, Michelle Warren. Good morning, DCC. I am so excited to be here. I have to bring a lot of stuff with me because about five minutes ago, I got an asthma attack. So if I start gagging and coughing, don't be afraid. I've got my inhaler. It's weed season. Very unanticipated. Well, when I say it is good to be here, I mean that in the sincerest way. Last October, the day my book launched, DCC was hosting the post-evangelical gathering. And I thought, oh, I've got, I want to just check in with some of my friends. I get to live in the city of Denver. I get to work nationally. So I try to keep my feet in both places. And I knew that my friend and your pastor, Michael, would be there because he had just returned from a sabbatical. 
And so we caught each other in the back um, corner of the church, and I think when you launch a book and you just get back after being away, you are anticipating and you are curious what God is going to do in the future. And it was in that that he said, Michelle, come speak at DCC, and literally joy entered my heart because you have been a part of the city's journey in trying to how to welcome immigrants, explore justice, and it's been a beautiful journey together. It wasn't that many months later that something went down. I was sitting there doing my work, minding my own business during the weeks of December. I don't know about you, but I know it's August. December is coming. December 2024 is not coming, but I'm glad that you're planning away. I just have to say the only thing I'm planning for in December 2024 is to have enough points soon so I could have my companion fair for Southwest. Anybody else? That's all I'm thinking about. Oh, yes, till December 2024. Somebody can fly free with me. But I was sitting there minding my own business. It actually was the Advent week of peace. So if you know Christmas, Christmas is a little busy. You have a lot of agendas. I'm a worship leader. I don't do it too much anymore. I keep retiring. I think this is my fourth time after after being a worship pastor for about 21 years. And I usually get called up for those Easter and Christmases in the midst of it. So I just want to, in the summer, kind of remind you how chaotic it is in December. That jog between Thanksgiving and Christmas that feels like about two weeks. And all of a sudden, in this week of peace, I get a text from my friend. She had just left a city meeting in Denver, and somebody who was over, you know, just sort of working with immigrants and refugees, she said, there's apparently some immigrants who are coming at the bus station. There's a lot of them. Do you think your church can help? And I thought, wow, I've left my church and planted another church, and I'm about 53 people strong at my new church plant, and about 97% of them are immigrants themselves. Sure, we can help, but I thought, well, I better get a little bit more information. So I did what I just instinctively would do. In addition to reaching out to my church, I reached out to my good friend, Dave Newhousel, who apparently is resting, and I'm sad I couldn't see him this morning, and said, hey, do you know anything about immigrants coming to Denver? And he responded really quickly, and I could imagine him sitting in the midst of December and getting things busy and ready for Christmas so you can go on vacation and enjoy your family, but church is a busy time during that, that time of the year. And he said, you know, I haven't heard anything. Are you sure it's not a rumor? I thought, wow, I don't want to insult my friend. She's kind of a big wig. She pretty much knows stuff, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to send a text back, and I said, Do you think it's a rumor? Oh my goodness, the speed with which I got a text back. No, not only is it not a rumor, like why are you questioning me? And so I went back and I texted Dave and he's like, nah, I'm starting to get the text too. And that was sort of the beginning of the story of Venezuelan migrants coming to the city. And I share that because within, I think it felt like 24 minutes, but it was about 24 hours, Dave and DCC had assembled and put together just a few blocks from my house a makeshift shelter. And Excel started pouring into my inbox and I started throwing it around to pastors and anybody in the city that I could to work alongside you as you led the effort of trying to coordinate not just shelter, but it ended up turning into legal help, accompaniment, etc. For those of you who are newer to the church, ask some people who've been here for a while. You have been center in that story. And I just thought, thank God for DCC. 
Thank you for being a church that is willing to acknowledge that even in the busy and even in the getting ready for the church services and trying to go on vacation, you are true agents of peace that you would stop and say, what can we do to meet the needs of people who are coming? And so as I've been excited since October to come join you, as I've walked with you from a distance and been able to serve at the shelter and been able to activate people alongside Dave and your leadership, I've been asking the Spirit, what is the message for this congregation that has a good reputation in the city? That isn't a small thing. To tell the banner of being a Christian comes with a lot of loaded thoughts. Often people don't think, oh, Christians, they are the peacemakers of the world. Here's the sad part about that story is in Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the people who are willing to see the truth of the pain and not close up their eyes, that they're willing to open up their ears to the cries and they are bold enough to open up their mouth and speak the truth about what's really going on. Blessed are those people because those are truly the children of God. And I thought about that sermon, and I preached about that sermon, and I have been taking you and that text chain with Dave and the opportunity for my sweet little congregation, 17 people, got to serve because you created the infrastructure. Because of your willingness to see the darkness and the evil to hear its cries, to speak its truth, and to boldly step in and hold the tension, even if you don't know the answers, even if you don't know what to do, that kind of person, that kind of congregation is good news. And those who call ourselves Christians recognize that we are supposed to be proclaiming the good news. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will have the reputation for being called the children of God. As I was preaching through that, I was thinking about Isaiah 58, actually. So it's an important little sidebar. I'm not going to go too much into who Isaiah was, but I will tell you, he was a man who was pretty upset with Christmas and Easter festivals. From the beginning of Isaiah 1, he's pushing back the voice of God in prophet form on earth saying, I'm tired of you followers of Christ, that you're just coming together, you're singing your songs, you're making Easter a big deal, and you're making Christmas a big deal, and you're making how all of the music is a big deal. You practice, you practice a faith, but that's not the faith that's supposed to be lived out. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a musician and I've been a worship leader for almost 30 years. So when I kick back on that, it is not for Hannah. It's for myself. It's for all of us who do the work of church to remind ourselves that this is the space to activate the salt and light so that we can be good news to the world. And so here we are, Isaiah, and he's mad. He's really mad because you're doing all of this gathering and you're saying you love God, but your actions are farthest from it. Where you're investing is complete and utter hypocrisy. 
Not only are your actions not at all reminiscent of somebody who loves God, but even your systems, the things that you could basically depend on, your systems are unjust. There's not even justice in the courts. Nobody who is poor and oppressed and vulnerable because of injustice even has an opportunity to share, be heard, and have right, I have wrong righted. And that's a lot of what you hear in Isaiah. Justice is needed. We cry out for justice. So what are the people of God to do in the face of injustice? And then there's Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, Isaiah has kind of moved through this this message over and over and over again. And then he's going a little bit deeper. He's acknowledging that the people of God want to see light break forth in darkness. Isn't that what we all long for? I don't want to be overcome by evil. I want to overcome evil with good. And I want to stay in the work. So here we are in Isaiah 58, and it's a little bit of that Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, almost in reverse. So now Isaiah is saying, now you people, I know you come into church and I know you're doing the right things. You are wanting so much for God to move in the face of injustice and oppression that you're even fasting. I don't know about you, but those are the good Christians. These are the disciplines that say, I will deny myself some of the most basic human needs of food and nourishment. I'm going to deny that. And maybe God will hear my prayers. Maybe he'll break forth with his light in the darkness. And finally, all that we long for will come to pass. But you know what? Isaiah says, you're getting it wrong again. When you sacrifice, it's not, I don't want to see you sacrifice eating. I want to see you sacrifice in a way that is going to better somebody else that you invest in the poor, that you invest in the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, this quartet of the vulnerable that we see all through the Old Testament and into the New. When you invest in that, then I'm going to hear your prayers. And I bring that up in conjunction with the story I told in December because it goes into the most beautiful expression. When you do that work, sure, I'm gonna listen to you and I'm gonna hear your prayers and I'm gonna make mountains move and you will be called, and I'm gonna use a KJV, repairs of the breach, right? Restorers of city streets, of dwellings. Again, you will be good news. So while I hold the two different thank you for being the children of God who aptly work your peace out in the world, I also want to encourage you to continue to be the children of God as agents of peace in a broken and divided world. I understand the work of justice. We understand the tension of a longing for something that could be but that, and is, but just is not yet. So I get to travel around the country, and I get to talk about justice, and I 
try to do about the fastest theology lesson I possibly can to explain what justice is. But before I can do that, I need to go back to how did injustice even come about? There's a connection to that tension as well. So when you think about the beginning of time when God began to push out the darkness with his light on day one, and we move through that narrative of the forming of the world, we learn that God was pretty happy with how things functioned. So much so that he kept doing one thing and then saying it was good. And he did it again and again and again and again. And six times he attributed the work that he was doing as good. It's the Hebrew word tov, mazel tov. Tov is not what we think about in our English word good. Good means not this is a good cup of coffee, these are good people. It means it's functioning, it's connected, it's not frustrated. Can you imagine living in a world that's not frustrating? When I look out at you, I kind of think, ah, this is sort of like the juice box generation. All right, I'm kind of old, I remember when juice boxes were introduced, all right? So anyway, you know, you, you pop it open and you start to drink from your juice box or your, or your pouch. And something's just not right. Like, basically, it cracked the straw. So think about it. Imagine with me, you're sucking up liquid with a straw. And it's broken. Now, it's frustrating, isn't it? I believe that one of the reasons it's frustrating is we know something's not working. We're getting what we need, but it's frustrated. And I would say that that is really what happened when all that was good and connected and functioning became very broken and disconnected in Genesis 3. And all of a sudden, setting forth a frustration that we just know it isn't the way it was supposed to be. There's a tension even after the arrival of Christ and his work and his peace. He's like, I am peace, and I'm leaving you with peace. Not the peace that the world offers, but a peace that restores. And there's a tension and a frustration even for those who us of us who know that Christ has come, the kingdom is here, but it is just not yet. And so the second message, in addition to thank you so much, for being peacemakers, for serving the work of justice, I want to encourage us all, us all, to stay in the work, even in the mystery of a kingdom that has come and that is here, but it is just not yet. I feel like it's that mystery that a lot of disillusionment is birthed. And that's just really honestly the work of faith. I'm reminded of another prophet, the prophet Amos. I'm not going to give you a whole lot of stories about this, this sycamore and fig farmer who from the south, southern region of Judah got so frustrated about what was happening, marched himself up to Jerusalem and began to prophesy. But it was very reminiscent of Isaiah. The people of God were missing the point. 
They were missing their call to be peacemakers in the world. They were staying within the temple, getting rich off the poor, denying justice, and here we have history repeating itself. By the way, 2023 is not a redemptive year. All right, so that's history back now, but we have history repeating itself even today. But Amos begins, in his frustration, begins to prophesy, and then all of a sudden, he, I, it's almost like an exhale, oh. And it's, I want to talk a little bit about a verse in Amos 5 that many people don't even know is a verse. I'm not saying you don't, but there's a lot of people who use this verse in the work of justice, not even realizing the context of with which it was birthed. Oh, in the tension, in the mystery of a kingdom that has come but is not here yet. Oh, that justice would roll down like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. Oh, that the straw would work and that it would be flooding up and that things would be flourishing and all that was created good and functioning and connected would happen again. Oh, that that would be our story. And so I want to encourage you today, my friends, stay in the mystery and in the work. Kiss the frustration up to God and stay at the table. My daughter, my oldest daughter is 27, but I remember her kindergarten beginning. And she had a good friend, Marissa Macias, and Marissa's grandmother brought her to school every day. She lived with her grandma. And Sydney is a very inquisitive adult. She was a very exhausting five-year-old and talked a lot and had a lot of questions. And so I can only imagine why Marissa told her this. But still to this day, these 22 years later, my daughter and I are encouraged by the words of Marissa's grandmother when we hold the tension of the mystery and the frustration of a kingdom that has come but not fully yet there's sometimes you don't have an answer, so you need to kiss it up to God and leave it at the table and recognize that our prayers are being heard, that the work of justice is also a work of resistance. So let's go back to Amos. Oh, Amos, oh, I agree, Amos. Oh, that justice would roll down. Here's the reality. Back then and to this day, justice doesn't roll down. And righteousness is not a never-ending stream. So we have to acknowledge that the status quo with which we are working, living, worshiping, doing all of the things we as humans do, the status quo is actually injustice and unrighteousness. And the work of peacemakers in that honest, see the evil, hear the evil, speak the evil work, we begin to realize it's not okay. If I am flowing down a river, especially if it's a river of injustice, injustice and unrighteousness, it is time for me to get out of that river. And yes, prophetically recognize and pray and ask God for faith and hope and resilience and all of the things that would enable us to do. This is the work. Enable us to get back in the river and instead of going down on that tube, we do an about face and we do the work of resistance. And we do that work together. We do that work together.
We do it because it's the good work of the gospel. We do it because we join Christ in his reconciliation and repair work in the world. And we acknowledge that yes, individual restoration is important and social justice is important, but it is not okay if me and my family do well. If you and your family and the families beyond this wall don't do okay, because truly we are not free until everyone is free. And justice demands the health, the restoration, the flourishing of the whole. I'm glad you're clapping because that is good news. It is also really hard work. And when I think about the 57 words of that prayer, it actually coincides with the message I was going to bring to you. Wouldn't you know? Because I kept thinking about a kingdom that is fully here, but just not yet. And I kept thinking about how hungry and how thirsty we are for justice. Two things you need to know about some of the New Testament and some Greek words. One, the work of peace actually means to bind up, to restore. So when you begin to read your Bible and you hear things like Jesus saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I don't give it to you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled and shaken and afraid. I've given you the equipment to be the restorers. And I've told you these things so that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. Because in this world, you are going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. So it's in that, so that's one thing is you need to know about that particular Greek word. Another is the word for righteousness and justice in the Greek is the same. You may know that, but there's a lot of people who don't. And I think if we were to do another read through, especially the Gospels, and begin to understand that righteousness is not about individual piety. Righteous, I mean, get your individual piety together. Or get your, you know, disciplines together. If you're going to be a person who is connected to Christ and to do that good work, you need to do some inward work. You need to do some communal gathering work. But you need to understand that righteousness is actually about your right acts toward something. That's exactly what the word sedekah in the Old Testament means. My righteousness, that right action toward, and guess what it becomes? When you do right acts towards someone, it becomes justice. That's the circle. That's why justice and righteousness are this wonderful pair all through the Old Testament. They almost cannot, they kiss, all right? They're so close, they kiss. They work together. So it's, it just makes sense that in the New Testament, when you see the word for righteousness and justice, it was translated as the same. And so I know when you are praying things like, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. There is a groaning that comes from the bottom of my feet as I kiss up the tension and the disillusionment and the discouragement and the need for faith up to God. Oh, God, I'm so hungry. I'm so thirsty for justice. Blessed are you, Michelle. Blessed are you all who will allow yourself to be hungry and thirsty for justice because guess what? You are going to be filled. 
And it is with that I come to you today on this 57-word journey. I never realized where the hinge of that prayer was. That as your kingdom may come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the next one acknowledges the exhaustion of that tension. God, give me enough for today. Give me today my daily bread. Because the work of resistance is a long and hard work. It is not for the faint. It is for the mature peacemakers of the world that say, no matter what blows, I will root down. I will make sure that my roots are deeply, deeply planted so that no matter what blows in those winds, I am not going to be moved. I will be resolved to believe in a God that says his kingdom is here on earth, that his peace is sufficient, and that when he says, be of good cheer, I can be rooted in the joy and the love and the peace and the spirit that enables me to be strong, even in the face of bold opposition and darkness. And I bring that message to you because sometimes it can be lonely and isolating, but this is to be a collective work. I hope as we have talked today, you feel encouraged by at least the leadership in the church that you have chosen to be a part of to say, I am going to hold the tension and be honest about the injustice that I see. I'm going to even hold the possibility that I don't even see the magnitude and the level, but I will continue to remain curious and open to all that God allows to be disrupted in my personal life, in that societal life, and even the disruption of learning that a system does not work for everyone. And so I want to encourage you in that today. I want to make sure that you don't hide out with everyone who agrees with you either. Amen. Friends, we need to help our people. We don't come along in the journey to spit in the faces of the people we've left behind. I wish I had time to talk to you about my elder brother syndrome in the prodigal son. I don't even want them. They've labeled me a liberal. They've called me a Marxist. They've told me I don't have gifting for the church as a woman. No, 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 no. I need to be deeply rooted, not just to do the work that I'm doing, but to love all of my story. I need to be a true peacemaker and not only build bridges toward what I see, but back from where I've come. That is not a small work. That is loving mercy and forgiveness in a way that is so deeply spiritual, I cannot even fathom. So God, we give ourselves to you. 
and renewed commitment that we faithfully pray as we long for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done here. We don't want to wait anymore, just like it is in heaven. And God, as we work to root down, to forgive, to love, to be agents of salt and light and peace in this very broken world, God, I pray that you would give us today our daily bread so they have what we need to be firmly planted just like a tree, planted by rivers of water. We will not be moved. I'm going to ask everybody to join me. I'm an activist. You can talk to me a lot about those kinds of stories. I'm a faith-rooted activist. Basically what that means is there's literally nothing I'm not going to do on behalf of helping other people when it comes to justice. All right? And that is a practice and learned behavior. But I don't know what your story is, but I, in addition to a worship leader, I don't just do it in the church. I do it in the street. Because you know what? I need to fully embody what I believe, and I think singing does that. I think it's bold. And I have inherited mantles. We've all supposed to pick up the mantles that of people that have gone before us, but we have a legacy of people who have been doing this work that we can draw from, a rich well. And so much of what we aspire and hope for is sung So I'm going to ask us to stand up, and I'm going to, maybe I'll teach you, you may not even know that you know this, or there's some people are like, wow, I sing this all the time, but I want you and me to sing this song called We Shall Not Be Moved. It's a a song that I've sung on streets linked arm in arm, whether it's for Black Lives Matter or for immigrant rights, so many different reasons to take our personal and collective conviction to the street so that we can have change. And I want us to sing it in determination. I want us to sing it in faith. I want to sing it with hope that things do not have to remain as they are because we are the children of God. We are the peacemakers and we are going to work in such a way so light can break forth in darkness and maybe we can earn a good reputation in this world and in this history. So let's, friends, let's sing together. We shall not, we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved just like a tree planted by the waters. We shall not be moved. We will fight for justice. We will fight for justice. We shall not be moved. We will fight for justice. We will not be moved just like a tree planted by the water. We shall not be moved. We will work together. We will work together. We shall not be moved. We will work together. We shall
shall not be moved just like a tree planted by the water.